0: excited to dive back into 2nd Timothy with you this morning. So we're going to look, be looking at 2nd Timothy um, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 12. So if you can open your Bibles up to 2nd Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, that would be wonderful. And if you need a Bible, if you could raise your hand, we have people coming down the aisles who will hand you a Bible. Um, There's some in the back that need Bibles. So again, the text that we're going to be looking at this morning is 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. 8 through 12. And the verses read this. Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose in grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. When we were in Second Timothy last time, um, we looked at... Um, the, the impact of godly influences. And we saw the way that godly influences impacted Timothy. In the first couple of verses, the first seven verses, we saw how Paul, who is a faithful spiritual father, remembered, prayed for, and encouraged his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy. Um, he, he reminded him of, of the faith that he saw um, in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And he said to Timothy, that same faith that i seen in your grandma and i seen in your mother, I see in you. And he was encouraging him, saying that faith, I see that inside of you, Timothy. Be encouraged. God is at work in your life. And he also reminded him to fan into flame the gift of God that was in him. When Paul laid his hands on him, he said, I wanna remind you to fan into flame this gift that is in you, Timothy. And then he went on to say, um, On top of that, Timothy, you got every resource you need. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. No, he, He gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power. Love and self-control. And in verse 7, that's powerful how he points out that God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I mentioned how this is the power to accomplish what God has called Timothy to do. This is the power to accomplish what God has called us to do. And this love is a supernatural love. A love for God and a love for people, a supernatural love that that helps us to love in times of persecution, in times of affliction, in times of hardship. It's the love that, love that believes all things and bears all things, endures all things. It's this supernatural love. He said he's given Timothy a spirit Um, Not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. This self-control is is a sober-mindedness in the midst of persecutions and trials. And everything that Timothy was going through at that time, he was reminded him that God has given him a spirit of self-control, that he could be sober-minded in the midst of very hard times. And it's good to understand that because now in verse 8 he says therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel how by the power of God now when it starts off saying therefore He's saying, Timothy, because you have everything you need, the power of God, the power that is inside of you, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, because that power is inside of you, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, Because of all the persecution that believers were facing, there was a temptation for Timothy to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. This verse is not saying that he was ashamed, but Paul knew that there would be a temptation for him to be ashamed of the testimony. I mean, look at it. Paul's in prison. He's about to die. And you could only imagine what was going through Timothy's mind Just thoughts like, man, if I'm faithful with this message, I could probably end up in prison just like my mentor, like my father in the faith. If I preach this message with no compromise, I could probably die. So there's this temptation for him to be ashamed. But Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony. You see two commands in this one verse. One, do not be ashamed. That's the first command. The second command, share in suffering so he says do not be ashamed and to be honest like Timothy we all face the temptation to be ashamed at times of the testimony of our Lord I mean just look at Peter remember Peter Peter said this in Luke twenty-two thirty-three: 33 quote Lord I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's what came out of Peter's mouth. But what did Peter do? When it came time for Jesus Christ to be crucified, Peter was approached by a servant girl, and the servant girl was like, You, you know, you you know Jesus. You, You was with him, wasn't you? And Peter's like, nah, nah, that wasn't me. That was not me. And then someone else comes up to Peter and says, weren't you the one that was with Jesus? That Jesus of Nazareth? And he's like, no, 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 no. You got it twist it. That was not me. And then someone else comes up, a third person, and says, wait a minute. You're that man who was with Jesus. And he says, that was not me. And then the rooster crows. Peter denies Jesus three times, and the Bible says that Jesus looked at him at that very moment. And Peter goes away, and the Bible says he wept bitterly. This is the man who said, "Now nah, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus, to the end." And in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being put in a place. Where he has to now stick up for the Lord, he actually denied the Lord, and he did it three times. But praise God for his mercy, because he didn't just say, Peter, I'm through with you. I'm done with you, Peter. How could you do something like that? No. He said, Peter, the enemy is going to try to sift you, but when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Peter ends up turning by God's grace. He ends up receiving power from on high. And as we know, he preached powerfully. And the power of the Holy Spirit and masses were converted to Christ. Here is a man that went from being ashamed of the Lord to now unashamed of the Lord. So much so that according to history, he even died and was crucified upside down for the cause of Christ. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he couldn't do in his own might. If we're going to be unashamed of the gospel, then we need to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the power of God. So here's a question. What causes us to be ashamed of our Lord? It always comes down to the fear of man. It always comes down to the fear of man. The fear of being rejected. The fear of persecution. Verbal assaults, prison, beatings, maybe even being martyred for what we believe. The fear of losing relationships, family. Friends, loved ones, the fear of a bad reputation, the fear of getting fired or written up if you share the gospel in the workplace, the fear of not knowing enough and not having answers to all of their questions, the fear of embarrassment. We all fall in this list somewhere. All of us fall in this list somewhere. But I want you to be reminded of Peter. Of Peter who was also um, at one point ashamed of the gospel, but who God used powerfully to be unashamed of the gospel. I want you to be reminded of Timothy who struggled with the temptation to be ashamed, just like we struggle at times. But just as Paul reminded Timothy to not be ashamed, we need to be reminded from God's word consistently to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ and to not be ashamed in the midst of persecution. Matthew 5 says, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and say all kind of evil things against you falsely because of me, because of Jesus. He says, rejoice, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is nothing new. The prophets, the apostles, all of them were persecuted for proclaiming this message boldly. And if they were persecuted, you can be expected to be per- you can expect to be persecuted as well. But it says to share in suffering how by the power of God, by the power of God. He goes on to say, after um, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says, and of me, his prisoner. He's like, just don't be ashamed of the Lord, um, but. Don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. And here it is, Paul is in prison. And he's not a prisoner of Rome. He's not a prisoner of Nero. He's the Lord's prisoner. Notice how he says, nor of me, his prisoner, God's prisoner. Paul was in prison by divine appointment. What do you do with a man who's out preaching on the block, converting souls? and then you grab him, you chain him up, you put him in prison, and then the next thing you know, he's in prison converting your guards. What do you do with someone who is that relentless in the gospel of Jesus Christ? This was a man who was relentless and preached Christ no matter the cost because he knew that his reward went far beyond this earth. So praise God for the Apostle Paul. Praise God for his example. Praise God that even in prison, he wants to see the gospel baton passed on and to see the gospel proclaimed. And he's doing everything he can to encourage his son to be faithful to this message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, share in suffering for the gospel. I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. I'm about to die for preaching the gospel. I've been persecuted. I've been talked about. I've been put in a place to where, you know, it's not like Paul was someone who people viewed as successful. I mean, in verse 15, it says, you are aware that all in Asia have turned away from me. He's like, man, there's people who have turned their backs on me. But Timothy, don't be ashamed. Suffer. Suffer for the sake of the gospel, whatever it takes to advance this gospel. Suffer for the sake of the gospel. Last week, I had an opportunity to talk to a brother who became very dear to me, who shared um, some testimonies from some pastors in the Middle East. I can't name the pastor's names and I won't name the location for security reasons. But he shared some powerful testimonies that encouraged my heart. I got a chance to hear of men who were suffering and women who were suffering for the sake of the gospel. Here's a quote from one of the pastors. It reads this. 13 people Were killed around me yesterday. But God is with us. We've studied a course on hardship, started a new church. Many young adults are coming to Christ. It says, he goes on to say, we're experiencing regular, miraculous protection. He says that they were targeted by a sniper. And then the wall exploded next to the head of the sniper. So it took the sniper out. He goes on to say, we pray before we cross the street. Then we proceed across in hope. And God protects us time after time. Can you imagine believers praying before they cross the street? Because they don't know whether or not they're going to be sniped just crossing the street. But they're praying before they cross the street. I don't know where they're going, whether it's to get groceries or what, I don't know. But they pray before they cross the street. They're like, God protects us time after time. Here's an example of people who are willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Another pastor says this, God grants peace in the midst of the storm." He says, his wife said this, ISIS is entering the city right now. We must run now. Here's the pastor's response. He said, I'm very hungry. He replied, I'm not leaving until I finish my dinner. (laughs) This is a man who is in the midst of persecution and is fearless because he knows where his destination is. He's like, man, I'm not leaving until I finish my dinner. And then he goes on, they go on to write this. This is so powerful. Um, they gave one of their daughters, I'm not gonna say her name, a Jewish name. And they gave another one of their daughters a Muslim name. I'm not gonna say her name either. Because he loves both groups. This pastor loves both groups. And it says that they are a symbol of living in peace under one roof because of Jesus. Goes on to say, it isn't nationality that breeds jihad. It's a weird hook in the religion of Islam. Muslims are created in God's image as well, but they're victims. And here's a pastor who wants to do whatever he can to see people in ISIS come to repentance and faith who are slaughtering his people because he has this supernatural love to love his enemies, as the Bible says, and to pray for those who persecute you. So he says to Timothy, suffer, suffer for the gospel by the power of God, We can't suffer in our own strength and might for the gospel. The believers that I just got finished talking about in the Middle East, there's no possible way that they can suffer for the gospel in the power of their own strength and might. They need a supernatural power from on high that empowers them to suffer for the gospel. Suffer by the power of God. God who gives this power for you to endure. Suffer by that power. In verse 9 and 10, we see that Paul reminds Timothy of the wonder of our salvation, the wonder of our salvation. He says in verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Look at the first three words, who saved us. Now, before going any further, we can't just skip over those words. God who saved us. God saved us from hell. God saved us from our sin. God saved us from his wrath. God saved us from destruction. God saved us. I got permission from my wife to share a little bit of her testimony. And many of you don't know this, but... My wife used to be a full-blown alcoholic. When I say full-blown, full-blown alcoholic. Um, for 10 years, there was, n- there was not a weekend, just about not a weekend, to where she was not totally intoxicated and drunk. This was for 10 years straight. There wasn't a weekend just about where she was not totally intoxicated and drunk. It was so bad that there would be times when she would try to get to her home and get in, and walking up the steps towards her place, she would pass out on the steps. There's times when her mother came home and saw Ka and would pick Ka up off the steps and have to drag her into her place. She couldn't pick her own self up. There's times when my wife was so drunk that she passed out, and she was laying in her own waste, totally unconscious, not knowing what was going on. And then one day, there was a friend of hers named Risa, who used to go clubbing with Kyle all the time, who had got saved, who was born again, and Kyle noticed that her life had changed. And she noticed that Risa wasn't coming to the club with her no more and that she was walking different and talking different and that she was there was just things that were different about her and Cobb reached out to Risa to find out what happened to her. Risa ended up inviting my wife to her home and Risa shared whatever little bit of gospel that she knew with my wife. And said to my wife, um, how do you know that you're saved? My wife said, because I believe in Jesus. And um, Risa said to her, your heart is deceitfully wicked. You believe in your heart, you're saved, but your heart is deceitfully wicked. You need a savior who can transform your life and transform your heart. Ka sat there drinking beer and smoking cigarettes in front of her face. As Risa continued to share the gospel, my wife walked out of the house, would smoke her cigarettes, and then come back, drink her beer, and smoke cigarettes. And as somewhere in between of her hearing the gospel, um, she repented of her sins in the midst of smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, and hearing the gospel. Somewhere in between those things, she repented of her sins, fell on her knees. And cried out to Jesus Christ to save her life, to transform her, to change her. And by the grace of God, she was born again. And, she, and, and according to her testimony, three days later, she said she lost all desire to go to the club, all desire to drink alcohol. She stopped popping ecstasy pills and smoking weed. And she started living a life, surrendered to the Lord, growing in holiness little by little, in Christ-likeness little by little, by his grace. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you ever doubt that God can save people... Remember Ka's testimony. If you ever doubt that God can save people, remember your testimony. If you ever doubt that God can save people, remember the testimonies in this church. If you ever doubt that God can save people, remember the testimonies around the world. We are unashamed of the gospel because we know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Hallelujah. God not only saved us from his wrath and destruction and sin and hell, but he also saved us for himself. For himself and because he saved us we will enjoy everlasting life in his presence for all eternity to God be the glory to God be the glory so how is this salvation accomplished I mean how does this happen how does this happen verse 9 makes it clear that it's not by our own works. It's not by our own works. It's not by being baptized. You could read your Bible, and that's wonderful, but we're not saved from just reading our Bible or praying. Even even those who turn away from drinking and smoking and say they feel better about themselves now, and who start going to church and say they feel better about themselves that's not necessarily, that. It, no, that is not salvation. Salvation comes from putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in his perfect righteousness, the one who knew no sin, who became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So we don't do works in order to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. We don't do good works in order to be loved. We do good works because we are loved. And we want to do whatever we can to live for our Lord because we have been so captivated and affected by his love that everything in this world starts looking like trash in comparison to Christ in comparison to Jesus, in comparison to our risen Savior. So it's not by works that we're saved, as verse 9 says, but it says it's because of his own purpose and grace. It's his own purpose and grace. When we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed, he saved us according to his own purpose purpose, and grace. That verse 9 goes on to say, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Does that rock you? Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Doesn't that remind you of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4? where it says even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world and notice it has the same word in that we should be holy and blameless before him verse 9 says that he saved us but he not only saved us the bible makes it very clear that he also called us to a holy calling so he saved us, and then he gave us the grace to pursue holiness, to pursue a holy life, to start renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live um, upright, as uh, Titus says, and godly lives in this present age. And the greatest holiness that we receive is the perfect holiness that is found in Christ Jesus. That when God looks upon us, those who are in Jesus, we are holy and blameless in his sight. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. So he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. He goes on in verse 10 to say... And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was, is God manifested in the flesh. He appeared. The reality, the truth uh, that before the foundation of the world, he chose us to be in him. That truth, that gospel was revealed, was appeared when Christ Jesus came into the world. It was manifested through the appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He walked this earth. And he was tempted in every way like you and I, but he never sinned, and he was crucified. And the, f- the full wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ, and he was crushed, and he died. And he died so that we could live. He died. He abolished Death. He destroyed death. Yes, believers die physically, but we never die spiritually. We have eternal life. We will live forever. We will live for all eternity because Christ has abolished death and he has brought life. We now live in Jesus. We have new life in Jesus. We are new creations because of Jesus. He has brought life and immortality, which can be defined as the ability to live forever. Because of Jesus Christ, we live forever. We will spend the eternity worshiping our Savior with no wavering affections whatsoever. No sin will ever touch us again or come out of us again. We will worship Jesus with our full affection and gaze upon him and we will be satisfied with his love, his kindness and his mercy, his goodness each and every single day. This is what Paul was looking forward to. (laughs) And this is why he could encourage Timothy to continue to persevere and to preach the gospel and to be so focused on the mission continuing to go forth because he knew where his home was. His present condition was only temporary, but his eternal condition was forever with Jesus. So, Corinthians says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? (laughs) The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through Christ Jesus. If you don't know Jesus... Believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Lord and Savior who came and dwelt among us as a human being and lived a perfect life that no man could live. He fulfilled the law in perfect obedience and righteousness. Jesus did that. He laid down his life at the cross as an etern- atoning sacrifice for our sins, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and would have their sins ransomed for, paid for. That's what Jesus did. He rose on the third day in bodily form, and this declares him as God, and his sacrifice for the sins of the world was accepted by God the Father. If this is your first time hearing that truth, or maybe you've heard it before, but you haven't truly surrendered your life to Jesus, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and cast yourself wholeheartedly upon these truths, upon the truths in the gospel, that Jesus is God and that he died for sinners and that he died for you. But you must repent and turn from your sin and trust in Christ for his perfect righteousness alone. He will accept you. He will embrace you. He will redeem you. He will change you. And he will make you blameless in front of God. But you must respond by repentance and faith. Lastly, in verses 11 and 12, we see that Paul is encouraging timothy to be faithful with the message he says in verse 11 for which i was appointed a preacher an apostle and teacher paul preached and proclaimed this message he was appointed to preach and proclaim this message he was an apostle he was a divine messenger sent by god to proclaim this message And he was a teacher. He taught the truths of the word of God. He tried to do anything and everything he could to break it down so that people could understand these truths. So that they could repent of their sins and trust in Christ. But also so that believers could continue to grow in holiness and godliness and God's truth. He was a teacher and he labored teaching until the day he went home to be with the Lord. I mean, here it is. He's in a prison and he's still teaching. He's writing his son. He's still teaching up until the very last moment of him taking his last breath. This is a man who is dedicated to the greatest cause, knowing Jesus and making him known. And just as Paul and Timothy and so many throughout history were dedicated to the greatest cause, knowing Jesus and making him known, may we be dedicated devoted, to make Christ known, to know him and to make Christ known. This is why we came here to Anacostia, to know Jesus and to make him known. He says in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. He's like, I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel. I'm going through everything that I'm going through for the sake of the gospel, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. He goes on to say, for I know whom I have believed. This knowing is an intimate type of knowing. I know who I have believed. This isn't just head knowledge. I don't just know him theoretically. I know him experientially. I was on the Damascus road. I was going to persecute. I was persecuting Christians, and I was doing everything I could to put it into Christianity. And then Jesus Christ appeared to me and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here it is. Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he was transformed by Jesus Christ. And he went from being someone who approved of the murder of Stephen and approved of other murders and was breathing murders and threats against the church and doing whatever he could to put it into the church. He went from that, a murderer, to a missionary, to an apostle, to a preacher, to a teacher. Only the grace of God can transform a person like that. So when he says, I know whom I have believed... This is an experiential knowing. (laughs) When we say, I know whom I have believed, all we gotta do is look back on our past and see the things that God brought us through. A lot of us could look at the present and see what God has brought us out of. He's a faithful God who will continue to do his work in us and through us because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Paul knows who he has Believed. And he says, I am convinced that he is able to guard into that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, that can also be translated, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to him. It can also be translated that way. And the reason why I think many people have translated it that way is because. I think what's going on here is Paul is saying, I'm convinced that he's able to guard into that day what I've entrusted to him, meaning the ministry of the gospel, the the souls who have been transformed and converted, that God will guard them until that day. Um, The faithful work that was done through Paul, God will guard that until that day. That God is going to accomplish what he set out to do. That God is going to continue to accomplish what he has done. And because Paul can rest assured that God is doing his work and will continue to do his work, he can die with confidence knowing that the gospel is going to continue to spread. I mean, just think of it. He passed the gospel baton to Timothy. Timothy passed it to other faithful men, and it kept on being passed. So here it is now we're in Anacostia hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. Now the gospel is going to Northeast DC. Gospels being, the gospel baton is being passed everywhere. This is why Paul has this confidence, and he was right to be confident. Look at the results. To God be the glory, y'all. Paul suffered for this gospel. He was a suffering servant. Remember what he said in Corinthians? He says, I serve Christ with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. He says, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches he would have never went through all of this unless he really believed that this was worth it And anything that we go through for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's worth it. No matter what type of suffering we endure, we must be unashamed to preach and proclaim this message, knowing that it's the power of God unto salvation. I want to leave us with five applications. The first application is this. Remember to pray for the persecuted church. Remember to pray for the persecuted church. Remember to pray that God would help our brothers and sisters to be unashamed of the gospel and to endure suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Number two, pray that Anacostia River Church would be unashamed of the gospel and willing to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Three, remember the wonder of your salvation. Just take time to dwell on that throughout the week the wonder of your salvation one of the greatest things i think that encourages me and should encourage you to share the gospel with other people is the fact that god has saved and transformed and raised me and you from the dead and if he's done it in our lives he can do it in other people's lives Remember the wonder of our salvation, the great love that Jesus Christ has for us. Number four, be faithful with the gospel message. Paul said that God had called him to be a preacher, apostle, and teacher. And uh, God hasn't called any of us to be apostles. But he has called us to make disciples, He has called us to preach and proclaim this message. So let's be faithful with the message. And number five, if you don't know Jesus this morning as your personal Savior, repent of your sins and surrender your life to Him. Trust me. You will never regret it, but you will regret it if you don't. I want to end with two quotes from Charles Spurgeon. First quote says, from the word of God, I gather that damnation is all of men from top to bottom and salvation is all of grace from first to last. He that perishes chooses to perish, but he that is saved is saved because God has chosen him. Last quote, a man is not saved against his will, but he is made willing by the operation of the Holy Ghost. A mighty grace, which he does not wish to resist, enters into him, disarms him, makes him a new creature. And he is saved. (laughs) If we're saved this morning, it's because the grace of God wooed us, disarmed us, and we willingly surrendered to him and gave Christ our life. And if you don't know Jesus this morning and you feel him tugging on you, convicting you, wooing you, surrender absolutely all. Absolutely all. And you'll never, ever, ever, ever regret it. Let me pray for us. Father God, I want to...